no one will be admitted after the guests check in. Depends on how the next hour or so goes. Sure. So, uh, you want to introduce us? I don't even know who we are anymore. Okay. It's been so long. I'm Buck Cherry <laughs> in your puddle of mud. Fuck you. <laughs> your cradle of filth. I'm a. Uh... Demu Borgir. <laughs> so, uh, welcome back to Motel Hell, guys. It's been a. Hot, stinky minute. Yeah, about or, three and a half months. <clears throat> or we're recording these back to back and we're just drip feeding you. Who's to say? Yeah. Uh, all we I are. know is that I am Ben the Beardo who has a mustache. I'm Dick with the Fetty on the side. Who also has a mustache. True. We're mustache boys now. Yeah. Insert mustache ride joke here. Yeah. Must be this tall to ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... We never completed our end of 2020 wrap-up, but YOLO. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to get to that probably in the near future. I still have a lot of music I want to tell you guys about. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so this embarrassed. fucking amateur oh. hour. I haven't silenced my goddamn watch like an adult. I thought it was silent. I put it on the ground so it wouldn't even rattle, and then I get a full-blown ding. So anyways, you know, want to tell you all about the music I liked so much. The cool thing is that the longer that we wait to do it, the more music from 2020 I've actually heard now. I can completely miss the Autiker albums. and I've beaten so many video games since the last time we recorded a mm. BDMFT. Mm. So there's that. Yeah. Well, we haven't done a BDMFT where you've talked about video games in like a year almost. Yeah, so. whose fucking fault is that? I have important things to say about the last decade of music, <laughs> apparently. So, so much, in fact, that I decided to completely scrap the decade of video <laughs> games. It hurt. Yeah, so instead of doing anything like we said we were going to do, <laughs> <laughs> we decided to do what we wanted to do. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, so we're recording from a new room in a new home, which I now own. Hopefully the acoustics will be a little bit better. We've got carpet on the floors, full, full carpet. Ceiling to the walls. Yeah, it's really weird how you guys have carpets in, like, your bathrooms, too. Yeah. I asked that. I asked for that, too. And inside of the shower. Yeah. But I like a good feel, you know, like, I like a textured shower. Yeah, it's like standing on a bunch of moss while you're showering. It's yeah. gross. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah, I mean, you know, still same setup otherwise, but um, we'll see how it goes. And with any luck, we'll get another episode out in three to four months, <laughs> so... But, uh, We're like your favorite YouTuber who only posts every six months now. Yeah. So, do you want to tell them what we're doing? Your grand idea? My my great grand idea. So, I'm sure somebody remembers that a while ago on a BDMFT episode, I uh, did this thing called In Review, where I, I pretty much watched the first 
and then subsequent sequel of a movie and compared and contrasted Suicide them. Squad and Birds of Prey, if I remember right. Yes, because we totally did, haven't had a gap in recording for both of those movies coming out. I thought it would be fun since uh, dear old Dick and I tend to watch and discuss a shitload of movies all the time just to do a whole episode where we discuss two movies. One is an original movie we love, the other is a remake and exists. That's about most what I can say to it. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. That's it. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Four months later. <laughs> yeah, so we decided to do the film Pulse and its remake. The original is a 2001 film by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, who we actually discussed in our last episode when we spent about 30 minutes talking about uh, Cure, which I watched three times last year. And the remake is from 2006 and is, quote-unquote, directed by John <laughs> Sonzero. And we will get to that. I have no idea if that man has even done any other movies. Or if he's real and not just a, you know, series of letters created by a AI to, you know, create the illusion of human direction. He's directed six things. Tell me about it. He has directed... Jody Watley featuring Eric B. and Rakim, friends. I'm sorry, semicolon, Eric friends. Eric B. and Rakim? They're rappers. Sure. Uh, Mariah Carey, semicolon, These are can't let videos. go. Let me finish? Okay. I told you it looked like a music video. <laughs> can't let go, 1991. War of the Angels, short, 1999. Pulse was his first movie... Kill Zone 3, cinematic director, and The Pugilist 2012, which I'm like, I don't even know what it is. There's no movie poster for it on IMDb. Only one of the people in the movie has a picture. So it's safe to say that this man's career has not t taken an uptick. No, no. He didn't do big things after Pulse. No. No. <laughs> no, I did not. But let's start <coughs> with a good one. With a good, with the original. Okay. So, as far as Japanese directors go, Kiyoshi Kurosawa is one I know not so much about and have seen very little of his films. There's a couple on my list that I want to watch: Bright Future, Tokyo Sonata, Ghost Cop, Ghost Cop, and there's another one that escapes me. But Cure was a perfect movie and. For me, at least. And uh, we watched Pulse originally, it was probably three, six months ago now. I think it was last fall. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. wasn't that long ago, but it was long enough where I can't remember specifically. And I was excited because I think we watched it before you saw Cure, right? Yes. Okay. And then I was like, you have to see Cure. And I... Pulse is a little bit more famous in a certain sense because it's got the American remake, but... I think... I mean, what do you think? Do you like Cure more, or were you a bigger Pulse fan? I like them both, but I definitely like Cure more. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, I was disappointed when we watched it originally because of some stuff I'll get into, but just generally, like, it was kind of... You know, it's, it's tough with a director like this who is 
you could say an auteur director and definitely is a you know he's like a an actual filmmaker with a style and and skill and original ideas and all that and there's a lot to like about pulse but uh it just did not have the concise and and precision filmmaking it's like cure is slow and hypnotic and all that because it's about hypnotism and all that but like for a movie that's about mesmerism or hypnotism it's surprisingly brisk like it moves you know in spite of the fact that there's a lot of slowness or lack of action in other in in some ways and so this movie is feel you i feel the runtime by the second half i'm just like seems too long. I mean, like, if we're comparing Pulse to Cure, Pulse very much feels a lot closer to a paint-by-numbers horror movie like the like Ringu or uh, The Grudge did, stuff like that, you know, like kind of like studio-esque horror movie, ghost movie stuff, whereas Cure felt like was, like, a lot more heady. Yeah, I would agree. RC. I mean... Pulse definitely feels more like a traditional horror movie, and it also is firmly in the era of the Japanese horror explosion at the very beginning, so there's a lot of movies that have similarities to it uh, that are from that era, and so it feels a little less fresh. I mean, it's not like Cure was the freshest idea in the sense of there was plenty of psychosexual uh, police procedurals after Silence of the Lambs, but I just... I think, especially as somebody who would rather see a serial killer story than a ghost story most of the time, it just, it, and I, you know, that's all I really want to say mostly as far as comparisons go, but needless to say, I couldn't avoid comparing it, and even when not comparing it, like, there are just, I have some faults with the movie that I think we should get out of the way first. By the way, guys, there are going to be spoilers for... Took the words out of my both mouth. Both of these movies. The big thing with Pulse to me was... It's it's. I just thought it was too long. Like I thought that the the film in general would benefit from pulling out some of the stuff in it. Like any given sequence was really effective and good, but there just became too many of them by yeah. the end. The, the, especially the last thirty minutes, it feels like I already know what's going to happen because you've showed us the way this is going to happen every time, and so I'm just watching the inevitable play out, and in in the direction style that he has, which is this extremely slow, almost detached kind of just observer perspective, I can appreciate like it's, it's just like watching a Rue Goldberg machine play out. Like it's, it, there's a, this like sort of math science to the whole thing. And it's just like, these characters all have to die. Not in a, they have to die because they're in a horror movie way, but they have to die because like, Everyone's going to die because it's an apocalypse movie, too. Well, it definitely, you know, there's two different storylines happening in the same exact scenario, which I think either one of them as a whole would have been a shorter length of a movie. Well, yeah. And could have worked just as well. Yeah, I think that the merging, when they do merge towards the end, is fine. But I do think, like, if you're to have two full stories, you really have to make all of them compelling. And I don't know that they do that. So I think before we get more into talking about the specifics, um, 
we should probably talk about the general story. And I'm going to do my best to explain it the way I understand it, based on everything you learn at once, not in the way that it necessarily unfolds. So essentially, there's a character in the movie about the midway point who's this grad student who's got this theory that in the realm where ghosts or spirits live, there's a finite amount of space like there is on Earth. And because people and the human population has grown exponentially and people have therefore died more and more, that space is filled up and now they're looking to come somewhere else because they run out of space in Ghost World. And so they're coming into the human world, the human dimension, and they're doing that through technology, yeah. essentially. Through, like, specifically telecommunications. So they're coming through modems, um, which is kind of the main focus, is it's like internet technology, but through the TV, through your cell phone... Um, through any kind of thing like that and uh, anywhere where there's a grounded connection there seems to be a portal for a ghost it, it, it reminded me a lot of um, Ringu and that idea of like taking a totally normal everyday object and just forcing like everybody's got in their homes and forcing utter horror onto it mm. which is a lot different than most um, like western horror movies and stuff sure which i guess the japanese tend to do a lot especially around this time when yeah. this movie came out well there's a whole social commentary it's not even really a subtext it's just like a main text that kind of goes with it which is part of my frustration is the idea that like basically technology designed to connect us has isolated all of us which isn't was not a new idea in 2001 no is not a new idea now but is you know even more relevant than ever because in 2001 there was no facebook there was no myspace probably even at that point maybe there was myspace but i mean we were still in a chat rooms forums usenet well we we're post usenet but aim yeah aim and that kind of stuff the characters say there's there's some quotes I have I'll get to in a little bit that one is we all live totally separately and there's another one where is it in here oh that's that's about some other stuff but you know they talk about over and over the characters talk about how they feel alone isolated separate whatever and like it's like and technology is doing this to us but then like they also make it literally about ghosts and yeah. <laughs> as somebody who doesn't literally like ghosts you know uh, or like literal ghosts it it sort of that just is disappointing like it, like there's there's a level of explanation as to the mechanics of the horror that i wish had remained more vague but i also understand that if you had made this movie more vague people would have been like what the fuck like you know so and compared to the remake, which we'll talk about, which, Oof. yeah, they really felt the need to just tell you. Um, it, it, it's it's extremely vague, but, yeah, so it's like those two things are happening simultaneously. It's a, it's a little bit of a commentary on the ironic isolation that social technology causes, but also ghosts are running out of ghost homes, so they need to come to the big city to be... Ghosts and it's, it's ghost gentrification. Yeah, and <laughs> and the the big thing is that like from the get, but especially as the movie goes along, there's this apocalyptic tone that up until the last like fifteen minutes of the movie, 
is done so well by showing less, not more. Which here here was one of my main issues with uh, the original versus the remake, which is in the beginning of the movie, it felt like there's people everywhere, right? And then as you get throughout We're the movie, in Tokyo. yeah, there's less. And less and less people creating that sense of isolation. We were talking about horror movies creating senses of isolation. Yeah, just the other, the other night. night. Yeah, last and night. In the remake, it just always felt like there was no one anywhere. So, like, they literally had to tell me that people are disappearing all over the place because I had not fucking noticed. Uh, well, they in the very beginning, the first like twenty minutes of the movie, they they make a point of showing the busy quad and some other stuff. But barely, yeah, barely. But we'll, yeah, I, and I would say like, I'd love to. I think there's a lot to compare, but let's, I let's get through the first yeah. movie first. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so so Ben and I had talked about last night. We watched The Exorcist Three, which is fucking amazing, and we highly recommend. Right? Yes. Um, I certainly do. Easy eight or nine out of ten. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that was so great about it was they made DC look so like grim and aloof and aloof's not the right word but basically like empty and vacant vacant yeah that's the word i'm looking for and uh argento does this so well in tenebrae and in deep red especially where like rome and milan are just empty and or even opera which i watched recently it's 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 so effective and bizarre because it's like i know these are taking place in metropolitan cities and yet there's no one to see and it helps to create this like isolated story in such a big city. Even if the visuals aren't true to what would happen in real life, it's like figuratively, metaphorically, whatever. Like these characters are living in this isolated world. And Pulse does this like throughout the whole movie. It just gets more and more vacant to the end where it's just like the last couple characters are the only people that are there. And they don't need to needlessly explain to you that everyone's disappearing. They show you. Yeah. The. One other thing that they do that I think is uh, just, I don't like it in any movie. It always makes me think of the Rick and Morty episode. But they start at the end of the movie. And so you know that the main character is going to survive to a point. And it's like completely undercuts uh, that question. Especially because they have two main characters and that again, who are in these two different co-occurring plots that then meet at the end and if you didn't know that you wouldn't know which one of them was going to live I mean up until the one point but it, it doesn't add anything to the movie at all in no. fact I remember when we first started watching I was like why the fuck are we on a boat yeah what's going on with this boat yeah other than I guess to sort of like really press home the apocalyptic tone early on like it gives you it's not exactly foreshadowing but it's like this is going to get really bad, which I guess can work to a sense, but it was just but completely they unnecessary. They, they could they just showed the boat at the end anyway, so... Yeah, yeah, right. Now I hear you. And I don't want to... I know I'm talking a lot, but I would say that a couple of the other things I want to mention that are amazing are they slowly unfold what's happening in these two storylines, which they switch back and forth with pretty easily uh, and effectively up until like, the last third of the movie, or even half. The first half of the movie is, like, really excellent. And horror stuff starts happening pretty quickly, but it's not jump-scare stuff. And it's also, like, 
not explained but effective regardless because you're sort of learning with the characters like what's the rules of what's happening and like why these things are going on and there is a use of really strong imagery like aside from the horror imagery just this these interior shot imagery that gets so cold and so isolating and the, specifically when the the guy goes in the red room under the staircase like that whole sequence where he sees the the ghost phantom whatever and just like the way that the room is it's like this straight rectangle but parts of the wall slope in and it's all concrete and then it's behind him is the taped up like tv frame and it's just like that it almost feels like red it, it almost feels like um the black lodge from twin very like styled down but like that like it's just like a chair a little bit of color and just like an unremarkable room yeah and it's it's the focus on brutalist concrete architecture again and i spoke a lot about this when i talked about cure but like this this movie has less of the post economic boom industrial decay it has it's more residential generally in focus although there's a couple shots especially towards the end with the abandoned factories and whatnot but his the cinematography that goes with uh kenny movies or kiyoshi kiyoshi um is awesome and it, the the sense of dread evoked by just the mundane interiors and like mundane exteriors of residential buildings of japanese life like of tokyo is so effective like he's able to turn you know we talk about the objects of interconnectivity becoming like the source of the horror but just the way that he shoots everything that's just like normal stuff makes it all feel so austere well i also think there's this like a very big idea because okay so the two main characters who make it out in the end right mm. uh i can't remember their names but um the male character when he's first shown he is just alone in an apartment and it seems like he doesn't have any friends he doesn't have anybody he hangs out with like he is choosing to be isolated. And then there is um, the female lead who whose mother is... This isn't the first she, scene she's in, but her mother's at her apartment like cleaning up, and she's like, oh, we should see each other more. You should talk to your father. And she's pretty much shooing her mother away and being like, I don't want to talk to him. He's out of the picture. And like almost forcing that isolation in on, him, on herself. And then once everybody's gone, they're like, fuck... I don't want to be alone. We shouldn't be alone. You know, kind of like pulling on that thread of like, oh, maybe this isn't what we wanted, but we thought what we wanted. Yeah. And I mean, it 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 speaks to, again, like these, part of what doesn't translate for this movie in the American remake is that a Japanese lot of culture, right? This this speaks to Japanese like culture and modern Japanese problems of like, you know, we've, I forget the name of the, the group, but like the shut-in, you know, the yeah. shut-in people who are both men and women, uh, you know, going from high school age to older, people who are just, like, have no, all their lives are lived in, uh, you know, isolation, even though they feel, whether it's through message boards or whatever, that whole idea of people just blocked off from one another, even though they're living in Tokyo, which is this incredibly densely populated metropolitan area, no one interacts like it's this 
sort of you know by societal nature and also by choice you know with it and this this uh feedback loop because of it of just like everyone's there but everyone's in isolation you know yeah from what i understand most of the time the people as an adult you interact with are the people you work with that's right. the people you go out with and drink with after work and then you don't go up to like a random person on the in the middle of the street and be like hey I like your band shirt. You like that band? I like that band. Yeah. That's not the kind of thing that normally happens. Yeah. And I mean, granted, that doesn't happen so, so much here either. But there's also, like, there's an expectation of character. Uh, and character's not quite the right. But, like, there's behavioral expectations in Japanese society that increase that level of, like, social separation, anxiety, and isolation. And so when this movie's about people at the turn of, information technology era in japan feeling increasingly isolated like it's not fiction this is yeah really what's happening so it's again it's it's not even it's it's like straight on the nose it's like here's the thing that we're doing <laughs> which is why again i'm like then keep the fucking ghosts out of it like it, it provides for some cool visuals and the impetus for like the movement of the story forward and i can understand that they can still be metaphorical but they're not portrayed that way. And it just is like, I just wish we could have gone with something more. I mean, I think like mass psychosis and disappearance would have been cool. Yeah. But it's hard because... But some of the ghost stuff is really cool yeah. looking, man. It's really good. It's like the best version of J-Horror ghost stuff from the 2000s era. It, it does it all right. It's the kind of shit that you've seen so many bad like trickled down versions of it that it feels yeah. familiar but then you're like oh this is the original and the good thing of it you know um the early on there's a part i think it's in the very beginning when well before i talk about this this is going to come up very much in our review of the uh remake but the color palette in this film so cure has a somewhat muted color palette but both the original, both Cure and this film are clearly shot on film. And they have, I don't know whether it's the transfer that we were watching as far as um, the stream or like where where that, how old the transfer was, which can sometimes add to the mutedness of the colors and the color timing and stuff like that. But the film has like a drab-ish look. There's a lot of cold concretes without the blues. It's a lot of like beige and gray without blue in it. Uh, you've got the the sharp contrast of the red tape that starts to show up more and more. Um, and there's the lush greens of the rooftop garden that our female main character works at. But it's not it's not completely color washed and it's not digitally color corrected. But there is there is like some you know intentionally drab yeah. and dreary visual aspect to it. But she, it's, I think, effective. And I, so, that that's the thing about a lot of the, you know, the horror movies that, we, that you and I watch from this era. It's used to convey a message, not to convey that it's a horror movie. Right. You know what I mean? Should we, should we get deeper into the plot a little bit? Uh, sure. So, the, the movie opens up with these, I, I guess, I guess they sell plants. They yeah, sell plants, they're, right? They're, they're, um, Botanists? Yeah, I mean, they're like, you know, they look like a boutique plant growing place on a rooftop. Yeah, so one of the guys who works uh, at this place disappeared. They haven't seen him. 
He's got some info on a floppy disk they that they need. need. Yeah, that everybody needed in the late nineties, early two thousands. Floppy disk could save her and the world. Could have been a zip drive, zip disk rather, like a proper zip disk, but it wasn't. <laughs> so, the female lead goes over to his house, and he's there, and but he's acting real weird, and yeah, Does so the old David Carradine. Yeah, well, I think he was already dead, and I mean yeah. we'll talk about they. I feel they definitely. I don't think they understood that in the remake. Yeah, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. She walks in. He's acting all weird, saying some weird trippy shit, and he walks out of the room. And she turns the corner, freaks out, and he's like hanging there. Which I, I really like the way they shot that and the way they did prosthetics because his neck was like almost comically stretched out, but it was also so strained that it was still, like, really uncomfortable to look at. And he... They go back to the apartment later, and he leaves this black stain on the wall, like a decomp stain. And... But they get the work disc, and they... The other guy at their work opens it, looks at it, and sees that there's this weird picture that's like when you have a mirror in front of you and a mirror behind you. And so it's the dude standing next to his computer set up, but then you can see him on his own monitor, like it's that picture, and it just goes in infinitely. And they're like, what the fuck is this about? And then, and that's when she, they go back after that, right? I'm pretty sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because... Uh... Because that's when the guy doesn't he find something about the forbidden room on the floppy disk? Yeah, later. Yeah, at some point. Uh, The order doesn't matter so much. No, it's it's a bunch of mini vignettes, which is also very common for uh, Japanese horror at this time. Yeah. But they that starts that storyline, and then there's there's this economics student who decides to get on the internets. And it's, it's like, almost, again, comical, because... He owns a PS2. Well, yeah, there's that. But, I mean, he's sitting in his room, and he just, like, basically decides, like, just literally to... Oh, yeah, I've got the internet. Like, I'm gonna... He grabs his user manual out of a drawer, boots up Uranus, which has got <laughs> the uh, ad symbol for the A, and then just, like, decides to install a browser and get online. Like, with no explanation, we don't even know who this character is, and, uh... No, but but it, it works, like... It, keep going, keep well, going. it reminds me of Perfect Blue, right? Yeah. Because... It's a very similar treatment to, like, yeah. internet... Um, the internet's new. I don't know what it is yet. It's not... Uh, in, internet illiteracy is the yes. one I'm looking for. So he turns on his computer, gets on the internet, and first thing... First thing that pops up... You want me to go... No, the one of me to ghost comes up later. Yeah. He starts seeing these webcam visuals of... Just people just kind of looking real sad. Yeah, they're like weird uh, sort of voyeur webcam shots of people inside their apartments and homes. Which and is super effective and creepy. Yeah, they're, and there's nothing, it's other than like the composition of the shots, there's nothing in any of them that's like particularly like whoa until he gets to one of a guy in a chair with a bag over his head that says help me, help me, help me in kanji a million times behind him. Yeah. And then you're like, this seems bad. <laughs> and that's... I think that's when he turns it off the first time. That's some... That's some urban legend shit you read about the dark web. Right. But this is like pre-dark web and... 
And it's interesting because, again, because it's 2001, they don't have to fake the shittiness of the webcams. And it also allows for what is, throughout the movie, this really effective use, because we've already seen it a couple times before we get to this, the second main character, of um, these digital glitches that are... It's a combination of, like, you know, old-school modem sound effects, dial-up stuff, uh, with, like, these visual glitchy things that uh, allow for, like, a sort of repetition and whatever. And they're used very effectively and pretty sparingly throughout the movie, even though it's about, like, techno-ghosts, whatever. And um, I just want to mention that, because already we've seen that. And, yeah. and, and already the other thing, too, that I really like is the score is this mix of uh, late 90s electronic scoring type stuff that is very different than today's, like, hyper-aggressive dubstep meets horror score bullshit. It's, like, it's way closer to, like, something like IDM. And then more traditional-sounding uh, strings, but then also this, like, almost operatic, just uh, acapella vocal stuff that comes in. It's, like, yeah. the three different sort of main gore motifs they use it's either acapella vocals strings or this electronic drone that all of them again like help to weave a tapestry of cold isolation from you from what you're watching and also like for the characters as they're experiencing what they're experiencing well talking about sound design i'll talk about one of my favorite sound design points in a second but so we're going to separate these into two groups right the plant people who are the female leads uh, work friends and people, and then the college people, which is the second main character, the male. So cut back to the plant people, the uh, guy who found what was on the floppy disk and the forbidden room and everything. He goes to the forbidden room, which is, I guess, like the basement level of the apartment complex of the guy who killed himself and where they got the floppy disk. And this is that scene we were talking about earlier. This, yeah, this... there's red tape all over the door and the window, and he walks in and he sees this this couch that's at the end of this hallway. I guess it's a hallway. It's more it's like, like a room. room. It's like an open con, like yeah. a studio. And there's like some like red paint and more red tape on the wall, and he walks over the chair and he turns around because he, I guess he hears something, but ghost girl, like. Filmed walking backwards, doing crazy motions, coming up to him. Yeah, it's like a little bit of avant-garde movement stuff. Yeah. Uh, very, like, kabuki-esque. Uh, scares the shit out of him, and it's done in such a way where it's not a jump scare, it's more like... Building terror. Like, you know it's coming. Yeah, it's not really a jump scare, because basically, like, she's just walking slowly towards him, and then... Uh, and then she disappears for a second, then she reappears. But it's not done in, like, a jump-scary way. Like, and it's... They don't fuck with her face or anything, really. Well, like, there's also no musical sting. There's yeah. no... Beep! Like, yeah. there's no... Oh, I hate he that. He just starts screaming. Yeah. And then it cuts away, and he's acting all weird and funny. Yeah. And so, anyway, college people. You want to explain next to what happens with the college guy after he visits this website? Yeah, and so... And I'll just say this, which kind of... We probably should have made clear sooner... Not only do the ghosts sort of travel through technology, but it also kind of 
evolves like a cancer or more like a virus, you know, uh, not computer virus. Yeah, not, you know, not in that way in the sense of they ever say that or anything like that. But we'll get to that in the remake. But <laughs> but no, of just like in the way that it seems to be exponentially proliferating throughout and, you know, adds again, gets to the. But yeah, so so economics kid has this initial experience is like turns on the Internet for the first time, immediately gets taken to some kind of, you know, webcam gallery of zombie people and is like, what the fuck? And goes to goes to his college, goes to the computer science lab. Well, meets, he shuts it off first. No, he shuts and it off. And unplugs the computer. Oh, yeah. And then it comes back on later. Yeah. yeah. And that's where you see, do you want to meet a ghost? Yeah, right, right, right. And uh, and so, no, I think do you meet a ghost ends the first session. And then when it comes back the second time, it's just the guy in the room with the help me thing. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. He goes to the computer lab. He finds a super cutie who's like very interested in helping him. And that's one of my favorite sound designs in the whole movie because there's no music, there's very little talking. You just hear that, yeah, yeah, from all of the computers in there. Yep. And it's like it shouldn't be an unsettling scene because it's just a guy talking to some people in a computer lab, but like Given that everything. droning and yeah. knowing what's happening and the way it's shot. Very much like Cure, where the sound design was one of the best parts of the movie, which is already perfect, so like they're all the best parts. But this movie does do that, where like the the he has an excellent use of when to use music, when to not use music, when to, the ambient noise is important. And so he meets this cutie pie who's very interested in helping him, and she says, here's what to do. The next time, and this guy's like your classic anime jock character. Like he doesn't, he's like way chill, like and like he doesn't care, and he's I, I don't. He wears he's all like a of these. He wears all of these shirts, Hawaiian shirts. Well, yeah, but all of his t-shirts. I don't know if you noticed, they're all American institutions. Yeah. yeah. Like he was wearing a blockbuster shirt mm. and like something from Texas. Yeah. And, and anyway, so she tells him what to do. Then. You know, we get to later, the thing happens, he does what she tells him to do, and then she volunteers to to come back and check it out at his apartment, and he's like, I fucking hit the jackpot. uh, Which I love, because he's just running around trying to clean up stuff. Yeah, Yeah, not really having thought the the thing through. But it, it introduces us to one of the parts of the film that we only get to see a few times, but every time it's super effective, which is the grad school tech lab that she's also working in, which has, uh, which is where the same, our, uh, plot B character meets the grad student who tells him the theory about the ghosts and them coming through and yada, yada. But before he tells him all that and all that, you see this sort of screensaver looking thing of these yellow and white dots. And they're supposed to represent like people and connections and whatever. And the, the hottie from the computer labs telling him about this. But there's all this other stuff, and there's just, like, heaps of tech scrap, but it's in this, like, big pile. Yeah, and it's in, like, a, a a college, like, on a college floor. Like, it reminds me of my old art building when I was in college, like, some of this areas they had. And it's just weird and perfect, and it's, it's like, this scrap heap of tech refuse. And at this point, you're starting to get mad Serial Experiments Lane vibes. Yes. Because... Like stuff is making less and less sense. Like the the movie starts very grounded in like this is Tokyo in two thousand one, and then it starts to like diverge into this is alternate dimension Tokyo where like things are very similar 
to our world, but then inexplicably there's just trash heaps. And, like, I know it's college and the tech department, but it's, like, it's fucking weird, you know? And you're getting into almost, like, Lynchian kind of visuals that, uh, not, like, the super weirdo stuff, but more of, like, the slight aberrations on what you would expect to see, but everyone in the universe of this film is, like, that's fine. Or they're not even questioning it. Like, there's no... Yeah, like, like, like uncanny valley of set design like it looks normal but something seems off yeah which adds to the consistent unsettling tone of the film and you know and now we're getting close into the hour into the movie and it's like it's so great because we've had some really excellent horror sequences but we're also building the world where we've got two storylines going simultaneously and like i'm on board and then you know I don't think we need to do a scene by scene. I'm not trying to cut you off if there's stuff you want to talk about. Before no, I just I bit. there I do definitely feel as though maybe there were things added into the movie on studio suggestion. Like well, he, I feel he wasn't a student. He was doing this independently. He was doing it independently. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's just maybe someone suggested it then because it feels like the whole grad student explaining the ghost thing to him feels very shoehorned in there. And very different from, like, rest of the ghost experiences in the movie, because he sees that little ghost kid, mm-hmm. and, like, this dude, like, kind of already knows about it, and you're like, who is this guy, and why is he suddenly very interested in giving exposition to this dude, who he saw for, like, five seconds, two minutes ago? Yeah, and at this point has already kind of played the, I'm a grad student, and you're an undergrad student, and, like, why are you talking to my hot computer professor, uh, TA, or whatever she is? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't... It wasn't like jarring, but it does feel no. It, it it feels like an afterthought. Well, and yeah, and I don't know that I would even go that far, but I would say it is. It's just unusual because it's the movie is a lot of you know when people aren't uh, when there aren't like sort of these more visual sequences, it's people talking, but typically it feels more uh, like stilted conversational stuff, which fits with the flow. And then you get this unusually exposition-heavy scene. And the the main guy's like, well, do you believe all this? And he's like, oh, no, it's just a theory and whatever. And it's just a theory. And... A game theory. That's and, for the kids out there. Yeah. Who watch the YouTubes. Okay. And, um... <laughs> but it's, it's helpful. Like, I mean, I felt the first time I watched it, I was kind of like, well, what the hell is going on? So in a certain sense, I was happy for it. But it was also, it's sort of to my point again of like, you could have not had that theory about ghosts. Less can be more. And just continued to show. But the the problem is, is that like you, part of you is like, well, what the fuck is going on? Like I, you know, at some point, like spooking out Japanese people uh, when they walk into rooms that have red tape around the doors is continually cool, but it's like, to what end are we doing this? So you do start to understand, you know, it gives you the... The signpost as to where... I, I feel like there was enough there without the exposition, because even uh, Computer Science Cutie showed him that screen again with all, like, you know, the little white sperms floating around, and sure. she's like, that one looks kind of ghostly, right? And, like, you kind of... It, it kind of seems like, oh, maybe these people on these webcams are, like, killing themselves, and maybe their souls are getting trapped in... The fucking thing. And the thing is, like, the biggest... One of the biggest mysteries of the movies... Of the movie isn't really discussed, which is the red tape. 
Yeah. Why does the red tape work? Yeah. And and they it, do explain where the guy who sort of figured it out, but like, and then the yeah, and then they destroy that building with a fucking uh, backhoe, and all of a sudden, brrr, ghosts everywhere. Yeah. Well, so it's basically like somehow the first ghost comes through a phone line in a a building that's in the middle of demolition. The guy who's you know one of the construction people figures it out, puts red tape around it because that's what's on hand, and then the ghost stays in there. And then later the backhoe destroys the thing, and now, like, one of the first ghosts is out, and it's sort of just, like, the first crack in the dam, and now there's no stopping it. I think that could, I think it could be, like, a more a modern representation of, like, talismans that are used to, like, cover up things from, like, old, you know... Sure. Shintoistic Yeah, it's just sort of one of the weird, like, kind of parts to it, and again, this whole, how this information even... It's just like a weird kind of way to get to this is our this is how we like trap the ghosts. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because no. the, the like everybody the, the ghost wins. <laughs> yeah, like the ghosts have won, and so everybody's getting, uh, you know, basically. And like throughout the movie, there is one really noteworthy scene before I get into my final gripes, which is, um, Plant Girl is going to find like she's looking for a friend or something like that she leaves work and she's now on the street level and then in the background you just see some girl jump off of a industrial like silo tower thing which is done so well the shot is like looks unbroken so it just looks yeah. like a girl just jumped to her death and you're like holy shit and it's and it's not she just does it silently in the background and then our character eventually turns around and sees the dead body but it's it's one of the best scenes of the movie. And, and that's it, how you can tell things are starting to escalate. Yeah, like, it's not just happening to this girl and her friends or that guy. Like, this is becoming a nationwide phenomenon, or at least a citywide phenomenon. And they don't... They just, they just show it without having to, like, make it... Explain it. And it's not till almost one of the last scenes, like, very towards the end of the movie, where the... The, the character B is watching a TV and they're just like listing all the missing people, which is just like an endless list of people. And they're showing their photographs with their heads cropped out in black and which is like very similar to sort of the cropping of the windows and the doors. And and there's all sorts of great stuff like that. But the last 40 minutes of the movie basically devolve into character B with his uh, computer teacher friend trying to escape and then not escaping and then trying to escape and like they keep going back to her house and it were it keeps giving us these amazing sequences in her house apartment whatever which are great but like it's a lot of back and forth to go nowhere and uh there's a little less and there's this sort of drawn out part between main girl from story a and her co-worker that could have been shortened and there are a lot of cool shots of empty Tokyo, though. I know, I know. But there, this goes on, and then finally, character A and character B meet, and then they find character B's uh, cutie pie computer teacher again in this huge abandoned factory that feels like straight out of Cure and a completely unnecessary set piece, other than the fact it rules. And spoilers, she shoots herself in the fucking head, which is awesome. And, uh,. But then, like, they go to leave, and then they come back, and there's this whole, like, other... Th- and it's just, like, there's a variety of very long and effective and isolation sequences, but 
Like, it just feels like, come on. It could have been tightened up. It could have been tightened up. Like, the whole way that the... Our character B meets his ghostly fate is awesome, but at that point, like I'm like I've just seen them just go back and forth. It feels like it reminds me a little bit of the It remake, where the movies just starts to like just do the same cycle of like established thing spooks, despook, established thing spooks, despook, whatever. I mean, this is done much more artfully, but like it is essentially that. And then we get to the my my final final gripe is. In the last couple of minutes, they're driving through Tokyo and they get some great shots of like what looks to be empty Tokyo, but then they feel the need to throw in CG like destroyed sections and then they throw in finally a, a falling plane. Which was unnecessary. It was unnecessary. We already established that Tokyo was empty and scary and it actually diminishes the emptiness impact because it's like suddenly there's it, a plane flying. It feels more like... Like... More like a modern apocalypse movie, like a zombie movie that nobody actually wants to see. Yeah, it's just the, it's a good example of when back in the 80s, if you didn't have the budget for it, you just didn't show it. Whereas yeah. like now you just do a shitty CGI thing instead of doing a good job of it. And it just looks like shit. And Japanese CGI is typically so much worse than ours. It's still so, not good. Yeah, no, we've seen Shin Godzilla. We love Shin Godzilla, but like, ooh, eek. And, uh, I mean, for Japanese CG, that was actually really good. I know, I know, but it's but still, it's, yeah. yeah. Um, if anyone's ever, it looks if any like of our PS2. listeners have ever seen the uh, Attack on Titan movie, which you don't need to because it's terrible, but the CG in that is, oh, yeah. Ugh. And, and, you know, we get these last couple bits that are just, it's like fine, I get it. I'm willing to give Japanese films, especially a film like this, a pass for, like, you know, Attempting to use the technology at the time. But there's this sequence where the girl A runs into this building to get the key for this little boat. And people are turning to ash. They're already ashed. And they're just, they just show like ash particle effects that are CG. And it's like, you just didn't have to have them. The fucking corpses look great. Like, just let it be. But Do you like, think this is how like th- this movie just takes place during um, Inve- Avengers Infinity War? And they just got snapped. Yeah, maybe. I, but the Japanese like spooky ghost stories, so they had to spooky ghosts. Yeah, that was their explanation. Yeah, that would be kind of interesting to like think about if Japan had no idea about what was happening in the Marvel superhero world, and then you know Thanos happens, and they just had to like come up with their own narrative about why. Bro, the Japanese love Marvel superheroes. Imagine if they were real. Yeah. Anyway, so I think that's all I really have to say about the movie. There are a ton of, uh, well, I guess, uh, let me me end with this. There are many great lines where characters say that they want to die in different (laughs) ways. Uh, Not like in the sense of slitting their wrists versus hanging themselves, but they talk about their sense of isolation and loneliness and their desire to die. And... uh, it's very in line with Boogie Pop, Phantom, and Cure, and to a lesser extent, Serial Experiments Lane. But all of that, oh man, that 1998 to 2002 era of just like extreme... I mean, this is still an ongoing Japanese thing, but like it's very no. much that Suicide Club, like, you know, it, it yeah. just falls into that... Um, 
undercover psyche Japanese suicide death wish stuff. That... Doesn't get as crazy as Suicide Club does, though. No, 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 no. But it does have a lot of that similar of, like, man, Japanese people have some repressed suicide urges. Like, whoa. No, barely repressed, honestly. Frankly, kind of on the forefront. But I love that shit. I... That never gets old, even if... What, it Japanese suicide? Yeah. Oh. It's a, you might want to edit that part. <laughs> <laughs> Japanese hugs. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I we definitely recommend Pulse, though. You can surprisingly rent it easily on Amazon and stuff. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough. Even though it's, like, one of those more art housey Japanese Sorry, my movies. To break in. So, do, do you recommend... The original Pulse? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Is it uh, my favorite Japanese horror film? No. Uh, But for some of my misgivings, I would say, in general, it's a very strong horror film. And it's really... It's unique. And it's for a premise that in some ways seems incredibly silly and dumb. They pull it off 90% of the time. So... To reiterate what we'd said at the beginning of the episode, no, it wasn't fucking worth it. Yeah. So you know how easy it was to watch Pulse? Well, it's really hard to watch Pulse, the remake. It's funny. You said the original Pulse felt a little too long, a little too drawn out. Somehow, the remake was a half hour shorter and felt two hours longer. Yeah, at 89 minutes... 2006 American Pulse with Kristen Bell and uh, an extremely brief appearance by Brad Dorif was the longest uh, Also minutes. starring one of the guys who was in... Uh, Vampire Diaries, you said? I think. I'd have to look into it. But no, but uh, one of the guys who was in the the Jewish Nazi hunters... In Inglorious Bastards. Bastards. And then the one guy who was like in a bunch of comedies like old school back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Latino gentleman. Yeah. So, let me just, we'll just start by saying this. We go on Amazon, we rent Pulse, everything is good. We go to watch Pulse 2006, you have to buy it. It is $12. 12? $12. Twelve dollars, yeah, and like ten for the standard definition version, which I can only imagine how impossibly hard it would be to see anything in standard def. But we didn't, we weren't willing to repeat the sins of martyrs uh, past. No, and I'm not going to own another shitty movie on Amazon uh, digitally just so I can review it for this podcast. And so I was like, we will find another way. So. We went through like four different apps. We eventually found it on YouTube at my t- TV is 4K. This was like this was like like 100. You know what I mean? It was just the, the it was so it was it was not a good rip. We couldn't it's even what get you through. expect of watching a movie for free on YouTube. True, truly. And um, you know, when you're high and you're staring at your laptop screen in college, it's fine. 4K TV is a 33-year-old you know, professional. I just got out yeah, of no. standards. I'm in my thirties and I'm an adult. So no. Um, so then we were like looking and looking and finally we got on Apple, uh, TV and then it was like a whole fucking <laughs> thing to log in. And then I log in and then I was like, yeah. And we rented it. And then it was like, Oh dog, you're 
credit cards expired. So then I had to fucking get my... And we just got wings. Like, they just showed up. And I got, like, wings in my fingers. And so you're constantly like wiping wing sauce off oh. your fingers as and you I are didn't, trying to... I opened the box and I did reclose it. So my wings are cold by the time we fucking <laughs> started this. And that's, like, really... I don't even need to describe the movie. This movie is, like, what it's like to have your wings go cold. Like, it's just not a good experience. Oh. It's like watching fucking paint dry. But anyway... Mm. The movie Pulse, 2006, Mm. stars the absolutely stunning Kristen Bell. Yes, it does. Love her. Love her. Somewhat same... I, I can't honestly say it's the same premise. It's like, it's like, they were like, we're going to remake this, but watched a highlight reel of it on YouTube, and they were like, we got the gist, we'll just remake those scenes. Well, I mean, I think the difference is, I think they were smart in some ways, uh, because, so like, giving them the benefit of the doubt, they said, this is a uniquely Japanese, like, this story works because it's set in Japan, it's set in 2001, uh, you know, Japan computer literacy, weirdly enough, was behind America in certain ways. Like, this this was a movie that makes sense for where it was and how it played out. If we put this in 2006 America, people are going to be like, are you fucking joking? So we need to make some major changes to the plot and the, like, the sort of the whole drive of things, which could be fine. Like, yeah, it was fucking stupid, the decisions they turned it into, but... Like, I applaud them for not doing such a full retread that it was just pointless, but all, and like, bad and, and, uh, you know, nothing new. Also, let's make it look like Zack Snyder directed and tear all that, of the color out of it. That's, it's, it's like insulting to Zack Snyder, the level of awful. This I don't mo- think anything can be insulting to Zack Snyder. Okay, at this that's point. fair, yeah. But, I mean, he's rich and I'm not, so what can I say? But, yeah, this movie was color corrected to the point of like the only colors in it were gunmetal gray, ash gray, gray, just standard gray, and then there was a hint of like old blue. There and were some legit scenes where it looked like you were watching a black and white movie. Yeah, and you know, not, not only was the color taken out of tons of it, but they add tons of like digital shadow stuff. Like nobody ever turns on a light no. and it's just like, everything's dark and murky and it, immediately too. Like the whole opening sequence is just like, are you like, what the fuck? Like it's, it's so color corrected that I was surprised they didn't do day for night. Yeah. That's how color That's, corrected it felt it was. like that. It was a profoundly hideous movie. So you want to get into it? Yeah. <laughs> so, Kristen Bell, college student, they cut out one half of this whole thing, shoot straight for the college student. A plot's gone. Yeah. Except for they combine visuals and character points to a slight extent from story A to shoot it into mostly story B. Yes. So, Kristen Bell is a pretty college student who hangs out with two weird guys and a uh, modern uh, girl who likes to bang dudes, and that's her entire personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then we've got the Spanish friend who is in love with the internet, has key access to all these different porn sites, and gets bootleg torrent copies of a bunch of movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we have her beta male friend 
who is clearly trying to bang her, but like they never, they never truly delve into that. Hmm. What are you doing? I'm looking at a map of the United States. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Ohio. I think that was. I think the map they showed was supposed to be Ohio. Is Ohio color corrected? No, maybe. I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan of Ohio, but I guess it's fine. The fucking highway cops are real dickheads, though. Well, it is Ohio. Uh, but you were saying modern, modern women, modern men. Yeah, well, and then, yeah, they have the friend who is trying to bang Kristen Bell, but it never pays off. But Kristen Bell has this boyfriend that is, like, kind of distant, and she mentions that her mom and her don't communicate well, but once again, none of these things are fleshed out. No. Not a single fucking one. The only thing that comes close to being fleshed out is that her one female friend likes to bang, and then in a very soon thereafter scene is seen in bed with a dude, and then immediately deletes herself from his contact list on... Uh, that must have been when I came up to take a piss and yeah. use mouthwash. On uh, whatever dating fucking website or some bullshit. Anyway. Oh, sorry. My dog's got the sneezies. He's a jackal. Well, Man, jackal. Little jackal has the sneezies. Um, <laughs> God, I hate you. <laughs> so, Chris and Bell's talking about, you know, he's... He's so brooding, and I love him, but he's so distant. Blah, blah, blah. It seems like they're not even really dating. Like, there's, no. there's, we we know the guy basically dies right at the beginning, and then we, or something happens to him, and we saw the original ring, so we kind of assume it's bad. And then she goes to find him, and it just repeats the scene of when the chick from story A and the original uh, Pulse, I think I said the ring at one point, ignore that, but... Anyways, goes to find her friend, then finds him dead. And but it's a lot more gross. It's it's way dumber. I mean, big shock, like the American There's version. There's like a half soundblind cat that's like meowing, it, it asking almost for looks death. like the cat from Reanimator. It's like almost <laughs> that silly looking. Kill me now. <laughs> cat dead. More later. <laughs> Details later. Details later. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, she shows up at her boyfriend's place. He's not dead yet, though. He's 100% not dead yeah, yet, no, which sure. kind of, like, discounts, like, the whole, like, they're all ghost thing is yeah. in the original, but he walks into another room, hangs himself, and the thing that's weird about this movie, even for a remake of a foreign film, right, is that movies with college characters, like, horror movies with college characters of this time frame, those stereotypes of their characters are, like, fleshed out, they go to parties they do things this is just Kristen Bell being upset for a whole movie pretty yeah. much well uh, so they go on a chat room once so anyway she her boyfriend dies right and they all go into a chat room together Th these are parts you missed I believe you were you were yeah, yeah, yeah. peeing or something during this they go into a chat room with her and her three friends, and they're all talking, and then all of a sudden her boyfriend Josh's screen name pops up and goes, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Just keep sending that over and over again. So they all get together, and they're like, well, maybe it's a virus, or maybe his computer accidentally sent it to you and it's still hooked up. So I think, what do they call him? Stone? Stony? Stoner? 
the one Latino gentleman goes over to turn off the computer because nobody else wants to do it. Kristen Bell definitely doesn't want to do it, which is fair. But he winds up. He goes over there, and I guess the 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 worst makeup ghost I've ever seen. Like, just not. It's not even creepy. It mm, looks like it dumb. came out of a new metal video. Like, it looks like something that, like, would be in a corn video. Yeah, no, Mudvayne video. Mudvayne. Whatever. It's awful. Maybe corn. And these, this ghost, when it gets to people, it, it, it like, almost like, uh, oh, you know what it felt like? You remember Soul Reaver? Hmm. Where he would steal, like, he'd suck the soul out of them instead yeah, of blood, you know? Yeah. yeah, it was that. Yeah. Yeah, they do this horrible effect where the ghost face gets close to your face and then they suck out your soul, basically. Which and makes you hollow and want to die. Yeah, and then you kill yourself. And and so, like, they... But only one of them kills themselves. Yeah. No, yeah, I know. But, I mean, like, you're sort of kind of... Like, the, it's... The whole thing is that they... The whole, like, partial message focus of the original movie of... Isolation in, in modern Japan, isolation in modern society, isolation through technology, all these things. All the poignant stuff is ripped out of this. Right. And so the, instead they just replace it with lines about, like, I don't want to be alone, but I don't want to live. I want to kill myself. And then, but, like, with characters that you don't understand or know. Now, granted, the characters in the original movie are barely fleshed out. They don't, they are distinct, but they're not. But you kind of gather things from, like, where they live, right? And no, I, the few things that they say, this has nothing. Yeah, right. I, I agree. And uh, these are just like you know paper cut out characters, and the like this the story, the pacing. It's all just you know, it's all just like the shittiest version of whatever. And so it's so much. The horse sequences aren't. I don't even know if it was PG thirteen or R. It had to be PG thirteen. I mean, there was nothing R about it. There was no blood. There's no. No tits. one actually died. They just melted or turned to ash. Well, they you, you can die if you melt. Well, yeah, but like they don't get like murdered in a. Yeah, they don't like they don't get like melted. They just kind of turn into a black stain. They steal a bunch of scenes from the original, which. Usually I'd be like, oh, that's cool, they're paying homage, but they do it way too many times. Yeah, it was, the frequency bothered me less than just, it was using the scenes without the context of the rest of the stuff just, like, leaves them to be these hollow simulacra that convey nothing. Like, the, you can't just take parts, visual cues from the first movie and shove it into a completely different movie and have it mean something. It, it's, it was, like, my biggest issue with... Uh, Dr. Sleep mm. was at spoiler for Dr. Sleep skip ahead 40 seconds if you don't want to know the end of that movie which I talk, I think I talked to you about they just shove in all of this stuff from the original Shining which kind of because like the, the first most of the movie is like pretty good and can stand on its own and I know while like yeah it can connect to the old movie whatever they just shove all this like all these visuals and all the ghosts from the original Shining movie in there mm-hmm. but yeah so, it's oh, Dr. Sleep yeah so I like an homage I do in fact I love an homage they happen all the time in horror movies consistently constantly but this felt like a straight rip because they didn't want to actually write a movie that's what it felt like yeah well I mean and again I would assume that most 
remakes of Japanese properties, uh, you know, they want to steal the visuals because Japanese horror movies at the time had a unique visual style that wasn't seen in American movies. And they don't give a shit about the rest of it because, like, who cares about Japanese culture and customs that these movies, the horror of these movies is in part based on? Well, it's it's to the point where it doesn't make sense almost, right? I agree. Because that's, yeah, that's the, uh, the one guy who goes over to get the computer that's miraculously not there um, doesn't even get killed by the ghost that kills everybody else in the rest of the movie. It's a lady ghost just so they can react reenact that uh, basement scene. scene from the original. Right. No, I know. I hear you. That's my point, is that it doesn't... You know, whatever. I, we don't need to belabor it, but I agree. Um, I mean, the movie is a bad movie. On every level, Kristen Bell is certainly hot. That's the only level that's not bad on. But she, you know... I mean, I can't imagine anybody really trying hard to act in these movies. She does, like, eh, I guess, you know, whatever. But, uh... I think the other thing that really undercuts and is exceptionally dumb, and maybe it's partially because my partner is a therapist, but she goes to see a therapist or a psychologist or whoever to deal with her grief from Josh dying. And the guy... And then seeing a girl jump off a building like in the original. Yeah, and whatever other stuff. But the, the guy is... The guy is like the most like movie version and... It's just, it's so, it's this the same way I feel when I watch court stuff and I have to either be like, I'm not watching this movie or I'm turning off my brain because the way that court is represented in movies is always like so far from reality. Uh, you mean to tell me no one yells you can't handle the truth? Typically not. But mm. like the way that this therapist just treats her, it's like I know it's not even an important part of the movie, but it's so ridiculous uh the only thing i would believe is if this guy tried to sexually assault her you know because that would just do that she, literally constantly yeah cutie co-ed but um so can we jump to the the whole like plot though yeah okay so anyway spanish guy gets latino guy gets uh ghosted gets ghost sucked and then i guess she meets Mikati Mechanic, who bought her dead boyfriend's computer, and he finds that he had all these viruses and this weird vi- all these weird videos of people from webcams, and one guy shoots himself in the head. Yeah, so basically, the the guy who goes to look for the computer to turn it off, he, he gets the ghost in the bedroom because he goes through a red tape door, and then... The stuff is still happening where she's getting messages from her dead boyfriend. So she goes over and then finds out that the apartment, you know, the landlady's like, oh, I'm taking out all the shit and whatever. And I sold the computer to some guy. So she tracks that guy down and is like, why are you using my boyfriend, dead boyfriend's like internet connection and username to send us <laughs> messages? That's awful. And he's like, I'm not doing that. I haven't even plugged the computer in. And she's like, you're a liar. Yeah. And... Then he turns the computer on and it goes right to, you, you know... You want to be a ghost? Yeah, the, the death webcams. And then... Uh, but the whole movie sort of about 15, 20 minutes. Like, in the next, like, 20, 30 minutes turns into hackers. <laughs> uh, kind of. Like, it's this whole... There's some kind of subplot of, like, these computer tech guys at their college created a system they were trying to open super there's wide there's no subplot there's no subplot it's they find out her, her boyfriend 
hack this guy. They go to the guy and he expositions all over your fucking face. Yeah. But, yeah, so he was trying to create ultra wideband frequency, blah, 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 so they could transmit. Ultra wideband, man! Yeah, transmit more data and. Best character in the whole movie. Uh, you know, so the, the, the monsters are not. There's nothing ever about them being ghosts. They're just basically like monsters from a different frequency, I guess a different dimension or something, that are coming through and they're feeding on our will to live and then they're going to take over the world because they're going to make us all just turn to ashy puddles uh, and Christabel's like nah dog and her in the computer he's like a cyber hacker he's a night man he's, cyber, he's night cyber night uh, they go and they try to stop Dogecoin it. man oh, wait hold on hold on get back up a little bit let's let's talk about my favorite thing in the whole movie which makes absolutely no fucking sense, which is when they explain the red tape. Uh, I don't remember. He says that uh, for whatever reason, it affects the light. Like, the light... Uh, it, it, dis- d- d- yeah, it blocks the li- a frequency that they of, need. Which... What? Yeah. What? And the only... There's a couple... There are... So a lot of the movie looks like a music video with a lot of bad CGI. Like, you could imagine any amount of solid-state bands from the early 2000s playing to the backdrops of, like, these visually... or these digitally edited visuals in this movie so often. Like, that could have been a Norma Jean set. That could have been a Hot Cross or whatever. And, uh... Yeah. I was just like, woof. And there Um, is a bunch of butt rock throughout the movie. Yeah. Uh, no-name butt rock. But... What was I going to say? There there are some visuals that are decent. Like, they're not anything amazing, but they're decent, and they sort of feel similar to the other movie. But it's all, you know, as we said, murky and awful, and you can't see anything. But then there's this one part where they keep cutting back to the guy who does the whole exposition dump and created the, you know, software, hardware, whatever, that brought the cyber ghost hackers to kill everybody by accident. And they keep cutting to him, taping up where he's living, and it would be cool, but, like, you, the red, it's not like Schindler's List, where, like, you just see the, you know, red coat girl, and then you see her dead body later, and it makes this big impact. It's not, like, artfully done or anything. No. It, the red is so, like, uh, obfuscated that it doesn't really matter, and then they finally, when they meet him, he's in this room where everything is red taped over, and it could be a really cool shot, like... There was some level of like visual, but they still somehow thought. color corrected that. Yeah, and made it just look like I could. I was it, like, it was a mess. Yeah. So and then like he, someone threw spaghetti sauce on the on the uh, fucking lens. And the last fifteen minutes of the movie go into like full blown like classic. They cannot make. The original Pulse is a slow burn. It is yeah. a... It is... If there's one thing you can say, it is a slow fucking burn. It never... It never does anything other than one pace. And this movie decides to go full horror action in the last 15 yeah. minutes with like a... Chase scenes. A budget and... for a McDonald's Happy Meal. And you're just like these digital CG ghost cell phone bullshit ass. And all of a sudden, it's like... It's a ghost that's a bunch of ghosts stuck together... And, uh, she like, they go to l- upload this virus that's supposed to take down all of the networks in the world, right? Or regionally. It was unclear yeah. to me. And that, because that's how the ghosts travel. could be through Wi-Fi. Spooky any Wi-Fi. Any connection. Any connection, right? So It's the same thing as the original. Yeah. 
Um, apparently, in this college uh, server room, though, it has connection to every server everywhere. Because these guys who well, all, brought in the ghosts... But all, all things do. I mean, you know, outside of closed systems, anything that's connected online, of course, you're connected throughout the world. Anyway, they have a USB stick to save the world. And... Or the region. They, or the they, region. They speak about the region, quote-unquote. And then they show this map, which I think is Ohio. <laughs> so I, I didn't get a chance to look at it real good at the time because I was just so fucking bored. But. So anyway, they go in. Kristen Bell gets ghost-sucked for a second. And she <laughs> sees just this sea of ghost monster things. They turn into like a skull. They turn in. oh god. It is a music video, you're right. I know. It is a music video. But there are definitely parts. And he did music videos. That, that's what I was saying. Uh, that's what god. I was saying. Yeah, like, I can looks, make a corn music it, video. It was hilarious because there are certain parts of it that uh, look like, that just in that particular scene that remind me of Lars von Trier's Antichrist. And I was like, I can't believe that Lars von Trier ripped this guy off. <laughs> <laughs> and then... But she's like, she comes out of it, which all it takes is for someone hand, to turn her away. Yeah, yeah put a hand in, in between <laughs> you and the ghost and you you can't get sucked. Which is like you just being too far from your Wi-Fi in your own house. <laughs> but anyway, and she's like, it won't work. It's not going to work. They are the network, which makes no sense. I don't, I guess they're the network that's connecting all things out. Nobody smart, smart wrote this. What? Yeah. What? But he tries it anyway and everything shuts down. You're like, oh, cool. We got him. We got him. We got him. But guess what? Goes no. Back. And they had a surge protector on there. <laughs> systems though. They had a they had backup power. So they get into a truck, wait, a wait, very wait, old wait, truck. Wait, wait, wait. I just want to say when he's uploading the virus, it says like what does it say originally like system malfunction and then it says like system shutting. Like it, it gives yeah. like the like the classic visuals shit where it's like if a computer is not working, it just stops working. Yeah. Like, it doesn't you mean tell to, you. Wait, you mean to tell me that uh, a it, computer boot up and boot down uh, sequence is not interesting to look at? Huh. It doesn't even boot down, but it, like, says, like, we are getting the hacksaws, and I'm just like... <laughs> and and something else I, I, I want to mention before we get to the very end of the movie, which we're about to, which is <clears throat> that dial-up sound, which obviously they couldn't use for this movie. 2006. It's 2006. Yeah. We had Wi-Fi. Um, but they use, like, these weird, like, beep-boop-bops, which is the most comical, yeah, like, cartoonish-sounding thing. It's so bad. But it, anyway. It, it sounds like a mixture of, like, video game, sci-fi video game sounds, and all of the effects feel like the original movie's digital effects, when they use them, besides from the bad CGI, are effective because they're, like, very minimal, and also it's 2001. Like, there was still dial-up stuff happening all the time especially in japan 2006 it's like there's just like no function and anytime they do the digital stuff you're just like it's just laughable it's just it's not good but no. i'm sorry go ahead finish us out so and this is where they should have ended the movie they drive off into the middle of nowhere and you think they're safe but for some reason for some reason even though they fully talked about they had this old couple, we kind of skipped over this, but this old couple ran by yeah, them. Yeah, like, quick exposition. Yeah, you can't use cell phones. You can't use radios. You can't use anything. They'll get you. For some fucking reason, Kristen Bell 
keeps her cell phone. But hold on. But here's the other dumb thing. What sets this off is not just the cell phone, but she's got the radio on. And the radio is just as bad as the cell phone. Like, they're, like, using their Yeah, but they, they kind of don't, like, in that scene, they don't say that the radio did anything. I know, but it should, based on yes. the logic of the movie. It's just so fucking stupid. Yeah. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, so... They, like, her... She realizes she's got signal on her phone, and Spider-Ghost comes out and starts attacking the top of the roof, which just seems so, like... Yes, I understand there's, like, that... That end of horror movie, especially in American horror movies, like, especially, like, in the 80s and stuff, that very last scene... Um, pieces kind of like copped a, uh, at it a bit too, which is an Italian movie, which you guys should definitely watch because it was a lot of fun. Um, we're like, you know, that last, that last scare, that last jump scare, like in Friday Thirteenth. It's know? like the movie we watched last night, Night of the Demons, with the apples. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was less jumpy, but same yeah. kind of like just last gag. Yeah. So, but it goes on so long. It feels so long, and they just have to drive out to, of, of signal, and then she throws her phone out the window, and they drive off. It's basically like this movie is the equivalent of somebody drunkenly explaining the original movie, but they didn't see all of it, and they like forgot half of it, and are like remembering a different horror movie entirely through parts of their discussion. And they're just so hammered and they won't stop and they're just like yelling it into your ear. It's that level of punishing. It's just the I still, worst. I still like my analogy, which is somebody went on YouTube and watched all of like those clips and was like, I can make a movie out of this. I can this. make this. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing that killed me for from about like 20 minutes into the movie was that the ghost monster, the primary one that you see, just looks like... The creature that comes out of the TV in the second half of Come to Daddy by Apex Twin. The video. And uh, all I could see was just this monster they, yelling at a little They do have those like, weird long yeah, wiggly it's got fingers. Yeah, Slenderman bullshit. Like, I mean, this is pre-Slenderman. But yeah, it straight up looks like the creature in Come to Daddy by Apex Twin. So do yourself a favor. Watch that video because it's fucking rad. And do and yourself then, a favor. Do not search for this movie because you will have yeah, to. Yeah, we almost... like. It, we wasted 30 minutes to to watch this movie at the cost of $4 instead of paying the 12 to own it, which was a sort of matter of principle at that point. Yeah. But holy fucking shit. Yeah, it was... Hot it, trash. It was rough. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry go, no, go ahead. Oh, we have to start with the one good part, but... What's we'll the one good part? Brad Dorif. Yes, go ahead. So... Do your Brad Dorf rant. Oh my god. So Brad Dorf is my boy, and I think at this part we were talking about it last night. He's I think he's like my favorite actor. Like just bar none. Like everything time I see his name and it's gonna be in something, I'm like, I just already at least there's that, you know? And uh and I've I've scratched the surface of his stuff, but I've seen some of the movies he's in so many times that I just have this deep love. Um But Brad Dorf is in this movie. I saw that he was going to be in it this morning when I was doing uh, just a little bit of research. And Sorry, I'm just thinking about how he's in this movie. Yeah, and he comes in out of nowhere when Hacker, uh, second boyfriend or whatever he is, and Kristen Bell, 
uh, are like trying to figure out what's going on. They're sitting at this diner, and then he comes in like some kind of QAnon, like day drinking <laughs> nightmare, and it's this Alex Jones style rant. Although he doesn't get to go like full Brad Dorf off the hinges. I like to think uh, Brad Dorf just actually walked into the diner by accident. He was already they in were, the diner. Yeah, he was shooting. just drunk, and they were like, so you have to leave. And he was like, I'm Brad Dorf. I'm, I'm not going to leave, and I'll tell you about the connections to the interwebs, fake news. <laughs> and it, yeah, it just is like, it's crazy because it's 2006, but the, the only prescient part of the whole film was like, this would be half of our country in 10 years, you know what yeah. I mean? And uh, it's this extremely small part that... Yeah, I mean, I have to wonder what it was other than they were like, do you want to check for show up for, like, one day? And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Well, it's like, um... Oh, what's his fucking name? Jeffrey Coombs? No, 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 no. The one, the one actor has been, like, a hundred movies. Robert Zadar? No, 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 no. He's, like, German or Austrian or... Oh, Udo Kier. Udo Kier. Yeah. Like, made great movies, made terrible movies. He just Mostly wants to make schlock. sure that they write his name correctly on the check. He's just a working actor. Yeah. So I mean, it was like, hey, Brad, you want to make, like, a few well, thousand dollars? Well, who want to do that? Right? I mean, that's... This is fun. Like, it's just, like, a fun little... And, like, it's my boy, so it could be anybody. I hope when he, like, walked off after that scene, they're all like, holy shit. They have to act that hard? <laughs> It, it was, Guys, we don't actually have to act that hard. The, the director's best, like, no, I make music videos. I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the best part is that Kristen Bell and the other dude, they're like having this conversation and he just interrupts <laughs> them to start like yelling his rant at them. And they it's look, unnecessary. They look so visibly uncomfortable. It, it feels like it's just, it was really, and the and to to speak to part of what made this so excellent was just last night we watched Exorcist 3, which has got to be like, Granted, again, I've probably seen twenty five percent of Brad Dorf's movies. Yeah, but he acts his balls yeah. off in that movie, and it's like it's a really intense performance. But he knows how to dial it back just enough to make it work. And so I was in love with it, and uh, so I was just like, "Oh, I can't wait to see Brad Dorf again! I can't believe he's in the movie tonight!" And then like that was it. But it made it so much better because I was like, the scene ended, and I was like. I don't think he's coming back. And I don't no, even want him to. Like, we thought, we were like, oh, Brad Doris in this. He'll probably have a couple scenes. Maybe he'll be the guy who explains everything, no, you know? Yeah. Like, no. He is just the one crazy guy who yells at these young An kids. Waffle House or whatever. <laughs> it did look like a fucking Waffle yeah. House. It was called, it was called like Great Diner or something. It was on the window. It was like a... It, so, like, this whole movie just kind of proves the fact for me that, you know... For the most part, and to, except in some rare occasions, stop remaking good movies and don't remake art house films. Yeah, like it's it's not you you don't do it. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's it's interesting because uh, and if you if you're gonna remake an art house film, it needs to be art housey. Well, I mean, you know, my bigger thing is that. If you remake a bad film into a good film, that's great. That's the thing. That's but the fly. people don't make. The, that's what they should do. But no, I know. Yeah, they only I mean, make good movies. Remakes are mostly based on brand recognition, name recognition. So it's like even if we do a shitty version of Waxwork, uh, you know, we can we can get people in, and that's not even a good brand. You know what I mean? And those movies weren't even that bad comparatively. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. Like. It would be great if Hollywood or, you know, movie makers in general were doing original, interesting properties that, um, you know, we're going to have some individual artistic merit instead of doing this. But 
the one example where it's not true is the ring and Ringu. Like, the Japanese ring is one kind of a movie, and the... I'm not saying I hit all remakes. I know. But I'm just saying it, it is, it's easy most of the time. It's pointless. At the, at the least, it's pointless. And at the worst, it's offensive. But you get the occasionals where it's like, this is better or is good. And most of the time, it's because they differentiate themselves so much while also like taking what's good and then doing... You know. That's what they did with the Suspiria remake. But the thing is, like, Suspiria was kind of art housey just by the way it was shot. Yeah, right? it's it's a and, great combination of exploitation and more, you know, artfully. And they made it more art house. Yeah. And different enough. Like it's if if they were two totally different movies, it'd be fine. It, that's that's a whole other discussion that we could have at some point. But anyway, yeah, it's just like I don't know, especially for that time cuz like I actually kind of like the Friday the 13th remake. Uh the Nightmare on Elm Street remake is the biggest pile of garbage that I've ever seen. Even more so than this, I think, because at least this had Kristen Bell's booty in it. Yeah. She's just And Brad Dorif. Yeah. But he is in the Halloween remakes, too. So Yeah, but at least there's tits in those. Yeah, there are fine titties. Anyways, we're about to get way off. Uh, We already spent a significant significant amount of airtime talking about the titties in Halloween one and two rubs <laughs> zombie weens movies. I want to say, and the reason the reason why they do this is this movie was made for twenty million dollars and the box office return was thirty million, but it's actually estimated to be more. Which ten million dollars is still ten million dollars. Like they can make a yeah, shitty movie, and twenty million is pretty pretty cheap. Yeah. I mean, 2006, that was, that was you know, we've got to remember inflation and all that. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, the movie. And the thing is, it's like it's got like a 10% Rotten Tomatoes and like IMDb score and all that. And the movie still, still made a profit. So, like, that's the thing. Like, that's why this happens. And it was in the, the height of the J-horror boom. So, you know. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, that's the thing. And I think it's... Depending on how um, theaters uh, survive over the next few years with the pandemic and everything, I, th- I think it's going to be interesting to see how uh, shovelware horror movies survive. You know what I mean? If if you guys don't know what shovelware is, shovelware is like very cheaply made video games that are put out and directed towards children who don't know any better or children's parents who don't know any better, and they just buy this shitty game that's probably been reskinned from another game but they do it a lot with uh they do it a lot with horror movies they make these like really shitty like low cost movies so they can turn a quick buck from it <clears throat> but it is like who who's even buying it like how are they making the bucks i get that actors want to because act. teenagers are like ooh, a horror movie i'm gonna go see that in the no movie but they theaters. like so many of these movies aren't even in theaters anymore like they go to straight to streaming platforms or whatever like the streaming pa- platform's pay the people who made the movies but then like how do the platforms get paid to like I know that they get their fees but I can't imagine people are getting Hulu or Netflix to watch like the Hulu original blah 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 I think it has something to do with like bragging rights as far as like oh we have this much on our platform and blah 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 (sighs) apparently America has like the most content out of any other country's uh, Netflix but we also have the lowest rated content yeah. Out of 
any other country's Netflix. Yeah. I believe it. And it's, you know, I mean, it's like... So red, there are it's people like who are doing shit, it. You know? Yeah. Yes. So it's that that thing, and it's just sort of... It's, it's interesting. But, you know, the weird thing about it all is that it almost feels impossible to imagine a world where this this sort of like insane divisions between the tiers doesn't exist and that these different tiered movies aren't happening. Like, I mean, we've sort of lost the pure exploitation film market and we get stuff that's a lot even shittier than that in some ways. But at the same time, we've watched some really terribly boring, like old exploitation films that are like, you know, you're waiting and waiting because they're movies designed for you to like fuck or shoot up to while you're in a drive-in. So like, you know, if there's 20 minute stretch of like, you know, while you're getting a blowy, what the fuck do you care? Yeah. But you know, it's, it's one of those like so bad that it's good. This movie was just boring. Okay. Well, I don't disagree, but you know, I, I guess my point is that it's crazy. Like I just, I think that there's the amount, let me put it a different way. I can't articulate there's just a mind-numbing amount of content constantly being created in every artistic medium. And movies is no different. And it is... It's, like, crazy. But, you know what? We get a ton of good stuff, too. And it's easy to look at things and be like, oh, there's just so much crap. But there is good shit. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's like, Exorcist good, good shit. And then there's, and there's also, um, like, like, there's... How can I put it? There's high art films and there's a lot of other things too, but we're still getting both. Dracula right? 3000. Yeah. Well, I mean like currently right now, but yes, also Dracula 3000. Well, that's all I really have to say. Yeah. Welcome back folks. Thank you for let, turning this into, uh, turning our, what is essentially our opening into a hold up. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's put us at number one on the iTunes podcast store. Because that's been huge for us. It's really been a game changer. Yeah. Um, we're uh, definitely going to be starting a Patreon soon. Yeah. And our OnlyFans, uh, we've been, we've been, it's helped us to quit our main jobs. So. Yeah. I actually put in my two weeks. Um, oh God, people I work with are probably going to listen to this. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, go to our OnlyFans if you want to see pictures of Dick Fetty's B-hole. Or my dog's beehole. Yeah, you can't prove that it's not his beehole. Yeah. It can't. Can't Because you don't know. I'm the only one that's seen it. And I've stared deep into the void. It looks like a a 12-year-old's hand is constantly trying to claw its way out of my beehole, but that's just my hemorrhoids. It looks like a sarlacc pit. Yeah. With With Boba Fett trying to climb out of it. Yeah. So, that's all we got for this episode. What are we going to bring you next episode? I don't know. We'll figure it the fuck out. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, If you guys, you know, we don't know what episodes you do and you don't like outside of uh, numbers because you fuck nuts don't contact us. So, we've got a Gmail account, motelhellpodcast at gmail.com. We've got a Facebook that occasionally gets updated. We've got an Instagram that I think Dick Fetty forgot about. Um... Yeah, hit us up on social media if you guys have questions, comments, concerns. Have anything you'd like to hear us talk about, and we'll consider it. I guess. Maybe. I mean, we got our own plans. I don't really know that we need audience participation. We don't. I just like to feel loved. Okay. Well, 
as an inside job. Whoosh. <laughs> oh, God. No, not again. Later, All nerds. Right, later. <laughs>